0: Good morning. If you'd like to follow along, I will be reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. That's Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. To the name, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to to pray one a Pharisee and one the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evilders, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood At at a distance, he would not even look up to heaven, but feed his, his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.
1: Thanks, Jason. Good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Miles McMillan, um, minister here at this congregation. Uh, I hope everybody had a big breakfast this morning, because if you didn't, our discussion might be making you a little bit hungry. Uh, We're going to be talking about pie today. Everybody loves pie, right? Um, You're probably visualizing what your favorite kind is right now. Uh, I had a very privileged upbringing, I think, when it comes to pie, because my grandma was like an expert pie maker. Um, she made some pretty outstanding banana cream and apple pies, and they were pretty hard to beat. And so I think I'm maybe somewhat of a, I don't know, a connoisseur of pies or something. Uh, it's also Saskatoon season right now, and so I'm pretty excited about that. And I heard there's a rumor, or I heard a rumor that there was a, a large bounty of Saskatoons growing in the back of Glenn and Kim's backyard right now. And so I'm holding out hope that maybe a Saskatoon pie is not too far away from, from me, maybe in the near future. Um, now, I'm sorry if this comes across as a disappointment, but I don't actually have any pie to share this morning with anybody. Uh, not in the real-life sense, anyway. Um, the pie that we're going to be talking about uh, is it, this morning, however, is quite a bit more important than dessert uh, because of who is serving it to us and what it can do for our lives. This morning, we're going to be looking back into the same parable we studied last week. I'm sure many realize that from the reading this morning, uh, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. As we already know, this parable is about humility and pride, right? Um, so we're going to be talking this morning more about humility, and we're going to be talking about eating a big slice of humble pie. I'm not sure if everybody is familiar with this expression or not, so maybe I'll start there. Uh, When somebody tells you that they're going to be eating humble pie or they need to eat a slice of humble pie, it usually means that they're going to have to apologize for something that they did or that they're going to have to admit that they did something wrong to somebody else. Uh, It usually means that you have to put your pride aside and sort of humble yourselves uh, before someone else. Uh, It's kind of like this story of, of the wife who was having a shower and then asked her husband to go get a comb from her Uh, from her upstairs suitcase for him, or for her. So the husband went up, and he had a quick look around, and he he couldn't find the comb, so he came back down and told his wife that, you know, the comb wasn't in the suitcase. So she asked him to go look again. He didn't really like this idea, so he muttered a few times, but then decided he needed to appease her, so he went back upstairs, looking for the comb again. He had a quick look, uh, but he didn't see it, so he confidently came downstairs, strutted his stuff into the into the bathroom there and said, yep, you're wrong and there's no comb in that suitcase. And after a brief and somewhat heated discourse, uh, the wife convinced her husband that he needed to go back up and look one more time. So he made a few remarks, you know, sort of insisting that she was wrong and this was a waste of time. But eventually he went up to check and he looked a little closer and then much to his surprise, right there in the suitcase, there was a the hairbrush. Um, at this point, the husband knew that he needed to eat a slice of humble pie. So he went back downstairs with his tail between his legs and walked into the bathroom, handed the comb over. And, uh, of course, she had to ask him, well, where do you find it, hun?" <laughs> it was in the suitcase right where you said, and then... He had realized that he had to apologize for what he, had, his behavior and stuff like that. I'm glad this is a hypothetical story. Of course, this would never happen to Alicia and I. Um, uh, that story might have been about me. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it it was hard to choke down that slice of humble pie, but it was the right thing to do. And uh, and so we can see that humble pie may not be as easy to eat as Grandma's homemade apple pie, right? But the pie that Jesus offers to us in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is so important that we just need to take him up on his offer. Learning how to be more humble is tough work. But the other option is that we live a life of pride like the Pharisee in the in the parable, and we just can't afford to make that mistake. Last week, Raleigh talked to us about humility and the gospel. And we spent some time examining the two prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector that we just read again, uh, that Jason read to us. And then Raleigh pointed out last week that, you know, God hates pride. It's, it's very simple. Uh, he hates pride and he loves humility. He loves people that are humble. We talked about how humility is not a sign of weakness like it might seem, but it's actually a sign of strength because it requires a lot of strength to humble yourself. We also looked at the life of the Apostle Paul a little bit and, and we talked about how he viewed his accomplishments Uh, as garbage, actually, compared to this all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. In short, Raleigh did an excellent job of reminding us about how important it is to be humble in our walk with God. And so, this morning, I want to continue on that theme of humility. I think many of us understand the importance of humility, but we struggle to carry it out, don't we? It's difficult for us to know how to get from where we are now to where God is calling us to be. But fortunately for us, Jesus describes exactly how we can get there and how we can make this journey. And in the lesson this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to address this one simple question, how can we become more humble? So maybe the best way for us to learn about how to eat humble pie is to look at Jesus' definition for humility. uh, The one that he kind of outlines in this parable Sometimes a really good way to define a term, at least I find, is to sort of talk about what the opposite of that term is. And so that's exactly what we're going to start with this morning. Jesus says in verse 14 here that all who humble themselves will be exalted and all who exalt themselves will be humbled. So we see that uh, from Jesus' words that the opposite of being a humble person is being the type of person who likes to exalt themselves, Right? We take that understanding and back up into verse 9. We also see the attitude Jesus considers to be self-exalting when he says uh, that the Pharisee was confident in his own righteousness and that he looked down on others. So we can conclude then that people who exalt themselves, you know, people that are full of pride, these types of people are the types that believe that they stand on their own. Someone who exalts themselves believes that all the successes and all the good things in their lives are a result of their own goodness or their hard work or their own doing in some way. And Jesus points out to, uh, he also points out to us that self-exalting people like to compare themselves to others to see how they're doing. And if they think they're not doing as good, they'll try to find a way to look down on other people. So we come back to trying to draw a definition for humility from this section here verse 14 uh, in verse 14 Jesus says that the opposite of pride is humility so if we look at Jesus definition of pride we'll also be able to understand his definition of humility and like it says in verse 19 he defines someone who is prideful as one who has confidence in themselves and also a person who looks down on others so for the purposes of this lesson we're going to take those two attributes or those two characteristics and use that as the definition of pride. Now, because Jesus said that self-exaltation or pride is the opposite of humility, then we can conclude that a humble person is somebody who has confidence in God instead of themselves and someone who builds other people up instead of tears them down. Now remember that our focus this morning is to answer this question, how do we become more humble? And so based on the scripture from Luke 18, we see in Jesus teaching that we can gain we can gain humility by finding our confidence in God and using that confidence to build others up. And Jesus answers the, uh, and Jesus answer to this question is where we're going to camp out really for the the rest of this lesson. We're going to sort of work through that answer and see what we can do to apply it to our lives. We're going to look at how we can find confidence in God instead of ourselves, and then also how we can use that, uh, how we can use that confidence to build others up. So Jesus' uh, roadmap also gives us some instructions that are really as simple as pie. In order to become more humble, we first need to look deeply into our lives and perceive that God is the source of every good thing we have, And that will help us ultimately to find confidence in God that he is the source of everything we get in our lives. And once we've got that settled in our mind, we can begin to identify what God has given us in terms of the assets that we have and then get to work at employing those assets to build others up and to build up God's kingdom instead of just our own. And doing this will in turn allow us to build others up. So Jesus kind of lays out a road map here for us to follow. So we're going to start with the first one, perceiving. Uh, we're, going to pers- we're going to talk about perceiving that God is the true source of everything that we have in our lives. We live in a culture today where individuality is celebrated, right? Uh, in part, uh, our, our culture measures the success of an individual based on how well they, they do at um, making their own way in the world, you could say. We are encouraged to better ourselves by further developing our strengths and our talents so that we can be more successful. Now, taking responsibility for ourselves is not necessarily a bad thing, but where we can go wrong is when we start to give ourselves the sole credit for all of our accomplishments in life. We talked about the idea of stewardship, or we we do talk about the idea of stewardship sometimes, and we know that a steward is someone who looks after something they don't own, right? Like a, like a caretaker or something like that. But we, we can use uh, this idea of stewardship when we're talking about our money and making sure we use our money for purposes. But really, I want us to see this morning that the Bible uses this concept of stewardship on a much wider scale. It really applies to every area of our life and every resource and asset that we have. As we talked about off the top, Uh, When we try to grow in our humility by eating humble pie, one of the necessary steps that we're going to have to go through is identifying those assets that we have. We all have assets, but sometimes we forget about them because they seem like such a regular part of our lives, things that we do every day. To help us identify our assets and and to keep it simple, I've just divided them up into two kind of really simple categories this morning. I'm going to talk about resources and abilities. Our resources are things like our money, our time, our possessions, you know, things like that. Even just the strength that we have to move around, you know, being able to walk, being able to move a couch. These are things that not everybody can do and we need to recognize them as a resource in our lives. Other abilities uh, like strengths, uh, sorry, other things like abilities are things like our gifts, our talents, our abilities. Things like this, our intelligence uh, and in our individualistic society, like we mentioned earlier, we're told to use these assets here on the screen, things like this, to build ourselves up uh, and make ourselves prosper. So if we're good at math, for example, we might use that skill to our own benefit by getting a greater education in math and then finding a career that plays to our strengths so that we can earn a living. Now, there's nothing wrong with using your skills to earn a living. In fact, I think that's a good thing to do. But where the danger lies is that we might start to believe that we are the owner of that ability or that resource instead of a steward of it. And when that happens, we can start to view our talent as a tool to be used solely for our own advantage. Going back to the parable uh, and looking at at the Pharisees' uh, remarks here, I think we can see that this is what Jesus was getting at about this Pharisee, that he viewed everything as his own. The Pharisee looked at himself during this prayer, sort of self-reflecting, and totally missed the fact that God owned all of his money. It was all God's money. And what the Pharisee was doing was only giving back a tenth of what God had given him. The Pharisee missed the fact that God had allowed him to grow up in a privileged environment where he had a great education and he had a huge head start in understanding the difference between right and wrong so that he could avoid sin. The Pharisee missed the fact that God had given the practices of fasting and prayer to him as a gift that he could use to have a relationship with his God. And instead, of, um, and instead, the Pharisee had actually turned these things into a sort of a badge of honor for himself, thinking that when he did them, he was sort of uh, having a trophy or something for himself. The Pharisee didn't understand that these blessings in his life were not actually his own, but a gift from God. And it's easy for us to see this problem in the life of the Pharisee, but I think it can be easily, uh, just as easy, sorry, to miss that in our own lives, to not see it in our own lives. And I think that's why there's just so many warnings in Scripture about this very thing. Uh, one of the warnings I wanted to look at comes from Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. Let me just read it here and then we'll break it down. It says, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The Apostle Paul starts out here by saying that we need to be careful about how we view the things we are good at. He says that we need to be realistic with ourselves and see ourselves with sober judgment. We should have an honest and sort of realistic view of who we are, not thinking that we are better than we really are. Pride uh, uh, pride is believing that we have manufactured our own resources and abilities instead of perceiving uh, that they are a gift from God. What Paul is saying here is that, God distributed those things to us and he points out that the reason he distributed uh, re- the reason that he did distribute them to us was so that we could use them for the betterment of the people around us. You know, he says that we all belong to one another. The Pharisee recognized himself as the source of his righteousness instead of God. He saw himself as the manufacturer of his own resources and his own abilities. But Romans tells us that the true source of the assets in our lives is not actually ourselves, but they are gifts from God, that God distributed them to us. First and foremost, these gifts are not even given to us for our own benefit. They're actually primarily given to us for the benefit of others, which is ultimately what God's purpose is. And understanding that and humbling yourself and aligning yourself with that plan is what it means to be humble. So we're eating humble pie together, right? We're we're trying to answer this question, how do we grow and become more humble? We've already discussed how humility starts by perceiving that God is the source for every good thing that we have in our lives. We've also had a quick look at some different types of assets to help us identify what assets we actually have in our own lives that God has given to us. And now following the roadmap that Jesus set out for us, we're going to see that we need to employ these assets to build others up around us. There's many scriptures that can help us with our understanding of how we can employ our assets to build others up or build up the kingdom. But before we get to that, I was just going to ask by a quick show of hands here, for those who are sitting here, uh, has anybody ever received a re-gift? You know what a re-gift is? I got a picture here if it'll come up. There it is. There's Santa Claus. He's not happy about it. So if you're at home, maybe you can type it in your uh, in the comments box on YouTube. But anyway, a regift is a gift that you get that's clearly already been given to somebody who gave it to you, right? It's just sort of passing through the chain. Uh, I was going to ask if anybody here had ever given a regift, but of course I know that nobody here would ever do that, so I didn't bother. Um, I did some research online actually and found a, a picture here of the oldest known re-gift ever. Uh, uh, according to this really reliable meme, it says that this piece of fruitcake has been in circulation since 1260 AD. It's just amazing. It looks brand new. can't believe it. Um, so, yeah, I know regifting gets a bad rep, right? But uh, did you know that God actually wants us to be re-gifters? Now, before you jump to conclusions and start your holiday shopping in your closet this year, I should clarify that the type of re-gifting God wants us to do is actually not the Christmas present type, but the spiritual type. So to explain better, I'd like to look at um, this, this section here from 1 Peter 4. Uh, and this is what Peter says. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God's providing. So in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So as it says here, uh, we see in, in verse 9 that we should use whatever gift We've received to serve others. That's the goal. We see here again then that we don't actually own the things that we're good at, right? We've received them, it says here. They are a gift from God. And what does God want us to do with these things? Well, going back to the meme, he wants us to re-gift them. I mean, maybe it's not in the exact same sense as, uh, as giving something away. Like say, hospitality, for example, is listed here. We can't really give our hospitality away, but we can re-gift it in the sense that we are using that gift to bless somebody else. And that's the sort of re-gifting that God is into. That's, sort of, that's the kind of re-gifting He's calling us to do. Uh, this scripture shows us that God blesses His people with a wide variety of things. Uh, and they're all important. Hospitality is listed, like I just mentioned, but also speaking and also serving is there. I think sometimes we focus too much on a few very visible spiritual gifts. And we forget that all of our abilities are given to us by God. When we emphasize certain gifts above others, I think we run the risk that some talents might go to waste. For example, someone who's really good at, uh, say, fixing computers, for instance, might just assume that their talent was only given for their career. Excuse me. Somebody who can fix computers might assume that their talent is only for their career, and they might not even give a thought to how they could use their gift to bring glory to God, or how they could use it to serve others. I'm here to tell you today that God gives all of our gifts to us with a purpose, the purpose of building up his kingdom and glorifying him. God gave you your resources, every single one of you. He gave us each separate resources, and he gave it to you because he believes that you can do something good with it. He wants you to find a way to re-gift it. He wants you to find a way to serve others with it, as it says here, and to give Him the glory. And we can expand things even further as well. So far, we've been talking about our assets in terms of our abilities, right? Like our talents, our gifts, our skills, things like that. But what about our resources? Oops, this one. Our resources, our time, our money, our possessions, things like that. Well, Scripture also gives us some ideas about these things as well. And it it speaks to this in 1 Timothy 6. I really love this section. Here's what it says. uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. So we've already seen that God expects us to use our talents and our abilities, right, to serve others. But then in this section, we see that he's also calling us to use our resources in the same way. The section is addressed to those who are rich. Now, I know many of us probably don't feel rich compared to some people around us in Canada, and that's probably true. But the reality is that many of us have been blessed tremendously in this life. Most of us have food, shelter, and clothing, and and an income of some sort, and just having those things alone makes us extremely wealthy compared to most people in this world. I'm not saying this kind of stuff to make us feel guilty, but I'm saying it to point out that this verse probably applies to us more than we might think at first. I love the consistency of scripture. In the same way that God wants us to use our talents and abilities to glorify him, we also see here in this verse that he wants us to use our resources to glorify him as well. And in the same way that God is the giver of our talents and abilities, he's also the giver of our resources. Check out what it says in verse 17. It says God provides us with everything that we have And just like it is with our talents and resources, where we can use those things to provide for ourselves, like maybe getting a job or something, this verse also teaches us that God gives us our resources for our own enjoyment. But, and don't miss this, we can't stop there. We must not stop at enjoying the things that God has given us just for ourselves. And if we do that, we're going to be just like the Pharisee who missed the point completely. We need to use the resources that we have in our hands, the resources that God has given us to build others up. God gives us instructions for how to do this in verse 18. He says to do good with what you have, to be rich in good deeds and then to be generous, be willing to share it. This applies to our bank accounts. It applies to our possessions, our time and everything else that we consider to be a resource that God has put in our hands and entrusted to us. To try and illustrate this a little bit, I'd like to talk for a moment about my current situation here at Central. I hope it doesn't surprise anyone to learn that part of your giving each Sunday goes towards supporting me full time. No gasps? Okay, good. Um, Because of this support, I can dedicate much more of my time each week to serving this congregation because I'm no longer required to go out and earn a salary in the corporate world. The financial generosity of this congregation allows me to commit myself full-time to this work. I see this as a gift, ultimately a gift from God, yes, but also a gift from this congregation. And I realize that this gift comes with a belief that something good is going to come out of it. There is a belief in this congregation that supporting full-time ministers will bring blessings to other people both inside and outside this congregation. The fact that you believe this is tremendously motivating for me because I realize the support I receive is a gift that's being given with a purpose in mind. And this is where the illustration that I'm trying to talk about here ties into the discussion about our assets that God gives to each one of us. God has given all of us gifts. Maybe he gave you the gift of hospitality or service or speaking or or whatever. In the same way that this congregation has invested in me, God invests talents and resources into all of us because he believes that we can do something good with them. He gave us assets because he believes that we can use them to help grow his kingdom. Maybe you're skilled in prayer or service or math or or plumbing or cutting hair or anything like that. Maybe you've got a lot of money. Maybe you've got a lot of time. No matter what it is, we should be reflecting on our assets and asking ourselves, why is it that I have this thing? And then finding a way to use whatever that thing is to, uh, to, to bring glory to God's kingdom. As I said, being supported by this congregation is very motivating to me. Understanding that this congregation believes I'm worth the investment pushes me to make the most of my time every week. We invest in our ministers here because we believe that they can help grow this congregation. In the same way... God invests different assets into us because he believes that the investment will result in a growth for his kingdom. Imagine how hurtful it would be if I decided to waste the gift I've been given. You know, waste all that extra time that I have each week and just slack off and benefit myself. If we can imagine how that might feel, we might also understand a little bit of how God would feel when he gives us different resources and talents and abilities. And then we just, in our pride, claim them all to ourselves and use them selfishly, and neglect his kingdom. This concept of using our resources we've been given for good is, uh, is all over Scripture, as we've already seen. Another great example that I'd like to look at is actually another parable that Jesus tells in Luke, uh, from chapter 12, and I'll read verses 42 to 48. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come at a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servants who know the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Okay, so backing up to the start of this parable, um, we see that there are many servants, but Jesus chooses to focus on this one uh, who he calls the wise manager. In the parable, the master of the house puts this one manager in charge of all the other uh, servants, and he gives him the special responsibility to look after the other servants. He wants him to use this responsibility. That he's given to bless the other servants in his household, looking after their needs, making sure they're fed and well supplied. The parable warns that when the master returns, he expects to find this manager doing his job and living up to the responsibility that the master gave him. He expects to find the manager um, taking care of the people under his care. But instead... The parable is alluding to a time when the master will return to find the manager doing the exact opposite of what the master has asked him to do. When he comes back, instead of finding the manager using the gift of authority that he's been given to serve others, he actually finds the manager using his gift uh, of authority to his own advantage and to the disadvantage of the people around him. In other words, the manager is using the assets that he has to exalt himself, just like the Pharisee in Luke 18, instead of building others up, which is what the master wanted him to do. He considered himself better than others and used his gifts to tear them down. The conclusion of the parable, which is outlined uh, right at the end there in verse 48, I think it should give us chills, really. It says that everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded And from everyone who has been entrusted with much, much will be demanded. Or much more will be asked, sorry. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we've all been given abilities and we've all been given resources. And these things equate to responsibilities from God. He gave them to us because he believes that we can do something with them. Some of us will have more gifts and resources than others, but we're all responsible for using what we have uh, to bring glory and serve God. This is what it means to be humble. The manager of the story uh, was not humble. He decided to use his resources to exalt himself. But we can't make that same mistake. Being humble demands that we deny ourselves and that we use what we've been given to serve others instead. So if we go back to the short list of uh, abilities and resources we looked at, we can see that we all have something from God, all of us. One of the main points of the parable of the manager is that we need to do the best we can with what we've been given. This means that we stop comparing ourselves to others around us, and instead we focus on how we are doing today compared to how we were doing yesterday. The task is the same for all of us. Since we've all got different levels of faith, we've all got different gifts, we've all got different resources, we can't really compare ourselves to those people around us, the brothers and sisters beside us. We're going to be judged based on how well, uh, how well we are doing with the resources that we've been given. And so that's what we need to focus on. Some of us are, are blessed more than others, but that doesn't mean that we should use each other as a standard for how well we're doing. We should never be satisfied with just being equal with the people around us or maintaining the status quo or just being a little bit better than some other Christian we know. We need to look at our lives as individuals and then prayerfully consider what we've been blessed with. What has God given us? How are we progressing? Are we using the things that we have more today, God, than we were yesterday? Answering these questions for ourselves in an honest way should motivate all of us, no matter how much or how little we feel we have. So this morning, we've been exploring the question of how we can become more humble. Jesus teaches us in Luke 18 that there are two things we can do to become more humble. First, we can recognize that God is the source of every good thing we have in our lives. And then second, we can use those things that God has given us to build others up around us for his glory. Putting this into practice, however, is actually going to cause us to have to eat a little bit of humble pie, I think. Because we're going to have to forget about building ourselves up and exalting ourselves with the resources we have, and instead we got to redirect those things towards building up other people around us, redirecting those things to building up the kingdom. In the Great Commission, as we're very familiar with, I hope, Jesus tells us, uh, tells all of his followers to go and make disciples of all the nations. The last time I checked, all the nations is a lot of people. So there's a lot of work to do. In order to accomplish this goal, we need to have Christians everywhere in every area of our culture, working in many different industries, having hobbies in many areas, living in many different social circles, many different economic circles. I think this is part of why God made us all so different. This is why certain Christians are blessed in certain areas that others are not, and vice versa. Humility is for every Christian, though. Using the things that God has given us to serve is for every Christian. And we all have a choice to make. We can either be like the Pharisee, who arrogantly believed that he was the source of all of his assets and then used those assets to compare himself with others, or we can be like the tax collector, who realized that he uh, everything he had came from God and was willing to eat humble pie. And we can eat humble pie too. When we perceive that God is the source of every good thing we have, we identify which assets he's given us and then we erect or employ those assets for use for growth in the kingdom. We're going to close with a song here right away uh, called Take My Life and Let It Be. This is an old hymn. It's from uh, 1874, super old. Um, but the words are still so powerful and relevant, I think. The song is essentially a prayer. It's a prayer where we ask God to take everything in our lives and put it to work in his kingdom. Uh, we're all going to sing together, obviously, but, but just remember that this is a very personal, uh, a personal song, a personal prayer, sort of a direct connection with God. So as we're singing these words together, I just encourage us all to really think about what we're saying. If humility is a struggle for you, know that you're not alone. And know that if you want someone to talk to, or you feel like you need to talk to somebody about your struggle, I want you to know that I'm here for you, and I want to talk about this with you. Please come and find me afterwards or or shoot me a text, phone call, email, whatever. Uh, set up a time to meet with me and we can talk more about this as well. Or maybe you're thinking uh, that this is a new idea for you. You've never really thought about the idea of, of handing your life over to God in this way. I'm ready to take the next step or maybe learn more about it. And if that's you, I want you to know that I would love to talk to you as well about that. Um, so please uh, fi- feel free to talk to me afterwards. Thank you for your time this morning and may God bless us all as we seek to uh, to glorify him with humility in his kingdom.